week 14, we did it uh, through the book of Colossians. If you came in after we greeted you this morning, I do want to welcome you. Thank you for being here today. If this happens to be your first time, if we weren't able to get you, we have a letter for you um, that we'd like to give you. If we didn't get a chance to do that, make sure we'll, we'll see you in the lobby afterwards. We want to make sure you're greeted properly, and we are grateful that you um, are here today. I wanted to take our final week in the book of Colossians, and I wanted us to look back on the lessons that we've learned through this book. I'm not going to preach through the concluding verses um, in the book of Colossians because they're not uh, preaching type of, uh, of verses. They are formalities. Um, Paul, and this is not even going to be on the screen, but just so you know, he says, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church at Laodice- of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to uh, Acropus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So that's the, the ending. Some instructions that Paul gives specifically. I'm not going to preach that today, even though we could probably preach a sermon on Remember My Chains. Grace be with you. Amen. <clears throat> but we are going to look back today, and the sermon title is simply Lessons from Colossae. Over these last 13 sermons, as we've journeyed through this book, what are some lessons and some takeaways, uh, kind of a little bit this morning from more of a, uh, a 30,000 foot view, a flyover from the book of Colossae, what can we learn? And, and by the way, <clears throat> there are many reasons why we choose on a typical basis to preach through books of the Bible. Um, I, it's a conviction of mine, I believe, that Scripture instructs us to, uh, to preach the whole counsel of God. And so it's not my job to pick and choose if I want to preach about this or that, right? Oh, this is a little bit you know, too sensitive, or this might step on some people's toes, so I'm going to not preach about that. That's not my job. My job is to preach the word, okay? Accurately and in context, by the way, that always helps. Um, so that's number one, but also number two, on a practical level, I hope and pray that you as a believer in Jesus have a personal time, whether it be every day or just as much as often as you can, have a personal time where you open up God's Word. Maybe you use, as I do often, the YouVersion Bible app or, or whatever it may be. You open up God's Word and you yourself feed on God's Word. That's my prayer. I hope that you do that. And if you don't, I'm not here today to guilt you. I'm here today to encourage you that you ought to be having some sort of regular time um, feasting on God's Word for yourself. Um, where you are digging into the scriptures and you are allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And so one of my secondary goals as we preach through books of the Bible is that when you get to Colossians, the next time you're reading your Bible and you read the book of Colossians, that you can refer back to some things that maybe we spoke about as you're reading through and say, hey, I remember that. Or, you know, here's a, I remember this nugget about this book of, of the Bible, and now I'm going to look for this theme as I'm reading it, right? So I, I want to help you in your personal walk, because how many of you understand today, if your walk with Jesus is depending on your pastor, then you, your walk with Jesus, 
I mean, I, I know your pastor very well. All right? <laughs> if it is depending upon your pastor, then that is not, that is spiritual milk and not spiritual meat. Okay? Um, and so you need to be doing that for yourself. And so that's kind of the thought and the heart behind this is maybe these last 13 weeks and we've had some one-offs here and there. And by the way, last week was not Josue and Hannah Rodriguez. Were they not incredible, awesome um, he, I think he beat Aaron's, um, or Andrew as he was calling you, uh, he beat Aaron's, uh, his record for the longest sermon at Keystone. And so I think, uh, you know, it's, you no longer hold that crown. And so we can't pick on Aaron anymore about that. But, um, but I appreciate him. But we've had some one-offs. But I, I want to focus back um, our attention on some lessons that we can learn. So here's some takeaways and lessons from the book of Colossae. I want to begin, and obviously we're going to read some scripture throughout, right? But let me begin, first of all, this morning by saying we should care for believers that we have never met. That's the first takeaway. There's not a specific verse here that I'm highlighting, but it's well known, and we've mentioned it over and over again, that Paul the Apostle had never visited this church in person. Epaphras is the only person that we, that we believe Paul had ever met in person. Yet Paul had a genuine care and a desire to help and a desire to love and a desire to equip and a desire to encourage a group of Christians and believers that he had never personally met. It seems that Paul was fully invested. You remember Paul is writing this as he's imprisoned. And for Paul to think enough of this church and this group of believers in this town that he had never met, it should teach us something. And on a practical level, may I say it like this, that every single time we uh, support Stuart Sharp going to Boulder, Colorado, every single time we support Josue and Hannah Rodriguez and we get behind them financially, you know what we're doing? We are investing, and I don't mean that in, in in a financial term, But we are spiritually investing in the people that they will reach with the gospel. That you and I will probably never meet. We are investing every single time that we support Ken Baker and Victory Baptist Church in the Bronx, one of our missions partners in New York City. Every single time that we send them resources or we invest, we are investing in people that you have never met before. And that's a joy and a privilege. Listen, we have a a responsibility to reach those within the walls of this church. And we have a a secondary responsibility to reach those in our community locally. Then we also have a great commission that says to go to the nations. To people we don't know. And I want to encourage you this morning. The Apostle Paul here wrote this entire letter, canonized in Scripture, important for the New Testament church to listen to and to heed. And he wrote it to a bunch of people he'd never met before. And as we invest in mission projects and we invest in uh, Disciples Promise who prints uh, Bibles and and distributes them in in villages in Africa, we will never, we will never meet the person that was possessing the Bible that we helped get to them. We'll never meet them. But we, we should continue our investment and our encouragement. As we invest and encourage CLI Prison Alliance, there are inmates that CLI will probably never get to really meet. That will be impacted by the gospel and discipled 
and you will never meet them. And I say that this morning to encourage you. Listen, our job this morning is not to have little trophies sitting around of, of, of this is the person. No, our, this is the person that maybe I'm discipling, even though that's a great thing. Or this is, this is specific, this person right over here specifically. No, it's okay this morning to say we're on team Jesus, the big team Jesus. And listen, if we never meet that person, if we can somehow impact them hearing the gospel, having their life changed by Jesus, by all means. And I want to encourage us this morning as a church, as we participate in, in, in sometimes missions giving as you did through VBS this year, or, or as we bring in families every now and then as we do uh, once, once or twice a year, and we ask you to give specifically to that family. Listen, you will probably never physically see the fruit of that. But understand, there is eternal fruit. And that was just kind of an intro uh, point that we should care for believers we have never met. But secondly, and we're going to be in Colossians 1 here, secondly... Understanding who we are in Christ matters greatly. A takeaway and a lesson that we can learn from Colossae and from the book of Colossians is that it matters very much that we understand who we are in Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. You remember that sermon? Preeminent before you start counting. He's the, he is the hub from which the spokes come off of your life. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, rulers of the flesh, doing evil deeds, running your own life, doing your own thing, he is now reconciled, in his body of flesh by his death. Why did he do that? Why did he die for you? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. Who are we in Christ? Holy, blameless, above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Who we are in Christ matters greatly. I'm going to let you give a word of testimony this morning of who you are without Christ. I'm actually not going to make you do that. That's terribly embarrassing. Who are you without Christ? Think through that question. If I today... Had a couple microphones in the aisle. Y'all been to churches like that, man? It's like it's testimony time, bro. If we had a couple microphones sitting in the aisle, and I said, I want every one of you to walk up, and I want you to tell me who you would be without Christ. Think about it. 
There's a lot of words that would probably come to mind. Some people will probably be harder on themselves than others. But may I say to you today that no matter what you think that you would be without Christ, with Christ, and in Christ, He is presenting you holy and blameless and above reproach. That's an incredible truth. You see, I know me, and you know you. And I can't explain to you this morning how me, the, the, the guy who sometimes gives into his flesh and says what he shouldn't say or, or gives into his flesh and, and does what he shouldn't do, the guy who gives into his flesh and, and has that, that thought, I cannot explain to you today how I know me, yet God looks at me through Jesus and sees me holy, and sees me blameless, and above reproach. I see myself as fleshly, the one to be blamed, and below everyone else. Listen, this morning, I'm not trying to be some like Joel Osteen, make you feel good today. But I am trying to get you to understand this. That because of Jesus and not because of you, because of Jesus, God sees you as a joint heir with Christ. God sees you not as a slave, but as a son, as a daughter. And I can't fully grasp that, and I can't fully explain that to you this morning. And I think that's one of the reasons why God put these wonderful truths under the hand and the pen of Paul that we would try to figure out and we come to the end of it and say, God, I don't know how you do it, but you do it. I don't know how you see me as blameless, but you do. And child of God and follower of Jesus this morning, be encouraged. Who you are in Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. You have been purchased by his blood Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. You are secure. John chapter 10, you're in the hand of Jesus. And in case that wasn't enough, you're in the hand of the Father and no man can pluck you out of his hand. He sees you as his own. We must understand that this morning. We must understand the importance of who we are in Christ. Aren't you thankful this morning that who we think we are is not reality, but who we are in Christ is the eternal reality. We should care for believers we've never met, but then we should understand who we are in Christ. What are some (coughs) lessons this morning from Colossae? Thirdly, we should strive to understand good doctrine and theology. We should strive to understand good doctrine, teaching, and theology, good study of who God is. Those are important things. Look in the same chapter, Colossians chapter 1, just down in verse 27, just a few verses down. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. Him we proclaim, 
warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Maturity, you see that right before verse 29? That he may, we may present everyone mature in Christ. We should strive to understand good doctrine and good theology. There should be a desire in us to, to partake in the maturation process of a follower of Jesus. And what does that look like today? Well, it looks differently for you than it may look for someone else in this room. It may feel a little different to you and it may go at a more rapid pace for one person here today than it does for another person here today. But may I explain to you this morning what the sanctification process, this maturing, this maturation process, what it would look like. It would look like if you took an honest glance at where you are today in your walk with Jesus and you look back three years or five years, I'm not saying three days or five days, Three years or five years, the maturation process says, I'm closer to Jesus. I'm more like Christ. I'm closer to him today than I was in 2019. I'm closer to him today than I was fill in the blank. The maturation process. I know more about Jesus today than I did. I understand the gospel more clearly today than I did my relationship with Jesus is stronger today than it's important that we walk down this journey, this maturation process, learning new things about Scripture, learning things that we had never really grasped before. Let me give you one. It's actually found in these three verses in 27, 28, and 29. Can I highlight something for you? I just want to give you an example of Doctrine and theology that we can learn as we read the Bible and God shows us things. And I'll show you something that this, this is something that I would want you to find in your personal reading, okay? Let me give you a, verse 27. It says this, this uh, the riches of the glory of his mystery. What is the mystery? The mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So in verse 27, we see that Christ is in us. Okay, we, we understand that on a practical standpoint that, that is the Holy Spirit Christ in spirit form dwells within us. We've gone over that. We've taught that from this pulpit. I think you know that. <clears throat> We've talked about the fruit that he brings, the gifts that he gives, and we've spoken about the Holy Spirit, Christ in us. And aren't you thankful today that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that Christ lives and dwells in you? That's an amazing truth. So that's one thing I want us to highlight. But then look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. John chapter 15, abide in me, Jesus says. So here's a little nugget of truth that this is something just from this text. And as I was studying, I'm like, here's something right here that I'm kind of talking about. We have the one truth that, we, that Christ is in us. And then we have the second truth that we are in Christ. We are abiding in him. We are maturing in him. And I thought about that truth today. Literally, 
Christ is consuming us and should be consuming us from the inside out. He is in us. He is covering us. Literally, there's nothing you can do and nowhere you can go that Jesus is not there. You are in him. He is in you. It is a fully encompassing thing this morning. That is the most securing and confident thing that we can know as a Christian is that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's what I'm talking about. That's something that as you're reading your scripture and as you're maturing in Christ and as we seek to understand good doctrine and good theology, you're reading your Bible and you say, oh man, that's really cool. We're in, Christ is in us. The next verse, we're supposed to be in Christ. Man, that's like a full takeover. That's like an all-encompassing thing. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm speaking of uh, this morning. So if you want to think about that truth and take it with you, I put it in a quote form. You ready? As a follower of Jesus, his presence literally consumes you from the inside out. Christ in you and you in Christ. It's no wonder the title of this sermon series was Jesus is Enough. We should seek and strive to understand good doctrine and good theology. Why? You know where we're heading next. Remember the issue in Colossae. And number four, we should identify and flee from false teaching. We should identify and then flee from false teaching. Look at Colossians in chapter 2, the next chapter. Verse 8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What did we learn as we studied through the book of Colossians? We learned that we ought to get to the point in our lives as believers when we can identify false teaching. Where we can say something like, that doesn't sound right. Where we can say something like, I'm going to need to look into that further. When we say, I don't know exactly, but I'm going to ask somebody that might. By the way, all of us ought to have those people in our lives, including leaders and Bible teachers and preachers ought to have people in their lives that say, I'm not real sure about this part. Like, let me bounce that off some people that we trust. We should identify and flee from false teaching. We ought to thank God that we, I believe, exist in a church that has leadership uh, all the way down through our church that would be willing to point out false doctrine or be willing to point out error in doctrine or teaching. And you ought to thank God that you're in a church that preaches that. You ought to thank God you're in a church that tries to protect uh, the, those within the church from false doctrine. And by the way, that's part of our job as I think of Jeff and I think of Aaron, I think of others in our church that, that, that lead, but I think of those men as elders in our church that, listen, if you're like, hey man, I'm not really sure about filling the blank, bring it to one of us. And I'll, I'll be humble enough to tell you, Man, that's a really, man, wow, whoa, let me, let me get back to you. Or I may be able to say, hey, listen, I've studied this out. I know exactly the struggle you're having. Let's talk it through. I think I can talk you through this. 
Right? I, I believe that's part of what we do and what we should be doing at, at our church here, and that is pointing out false teaching. And you remember, I believe when we spoke, when we preached on this, we kind of taught you or trained you what's the best way of identifying false teaching? It's understanding proper teaching. What's the best way to sniff out wrong theology? Knowing right theology builds upon what we just talked about in the previous point. If we're going to identify false teaching, the best way to identify false teaching is to know the truth. By soaking in the truth. By living in the truth. That's what it ought to do this morning. So it's important that we identify and flee false teaching. And lastly and most importantly, saving the best for last. I see the time. That's the, that's the pastor's favorite line. I see the clock this morning. It's the last point. What we do should flow from what and who we know. So what we know and who we know ought to be the trigger for what we do. Okay? Think about it and let's do it again. What we do, I'm sorry, what we know and who we know ought to be the trigger for what we do. Look at Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you have participated in the gospel. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you are raised with Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you should fill in the blank. If you understand who you are and what you believe about the gospel, then you should. Here's a longer passage of scripture. In the same chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Remember, what we do should flow from what we know and who we know. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, put it to death. Impurity, put it to death. Passion, evil desire, covetousness, put it to death, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, these Acts, these fleshly acts, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, put it away. Malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Man, that's a long list. Remember we had like a do nots and a do's? That's a long list, but those are all things we should be putting off because of what we know and because of who we know. But then verse 10, it shifts, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all, so we are now to put on. Because Christ is all, and he is in all, and Jesus is our Savior. Because of that, we're to put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, 
We're to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul says, because of what you know and because of who you know, here are some things you should not do and here are some things you should make a part of your life. Those are eerily similar to our Wednesday night study on the fruit of the Spirit. Very similar, but Paul doesn't even stop there. He takes the end of chapter 3 and the first verse of chapter 4, and he says, I'm going to tell you how you ought to be as a wife, a husband, a parent, a child, an employee, an employer. Paul says, I'm going to break it down for you. Look, I've spent the first two chapters plus teaching you all the theology about who you are and what Christ has done for you and how you ought to walk, and now I'm going to say, here's what you ought to live. This is how you ought to live as a result of what you know and who you know. Because of who we are and because of what we know, there are some biblical things that we ought to do. And there are some unbiblical things that we ought to flee from. You say, Josh, you just preached this a few weeks ago. I know. We're getting towards the end of the book. It's all good. You're going to forget by 2 o'clock what we talked about today, so it's all good. I know how it is. You're like, I asked my kid what they learned in church, and they couldn't tell me. I'm like, well, let me ask you at like 1.30 what you heard in church. Let's see how much you remember. Anyway, I've been guilty of that sometimes. I preached it, and I'm like, what did I preach? Like, um, Anyway, I studied for all this and then forgot. But anyway, can I give you the danger The New Testament is full of this danger, warning us of this. Here's the danger. If we only focus on the doing and not the knowing and not the being, then we will become a law-driven, performance-based follower of Jesus. If we don't understand the progression of the book of Colossians and we only get to the end where it says stop doing this and start doing this. If that's all we get out of the book of Colossians we're going to become really good Pharisees. Professional rule keepers. And let me say this. We should follow that. And we should flee from those things. And we should do those things that it says to do. But it must be predicated by who we are in Christ. And what Jesus has done in us. And as we live and abide in him. If we simply keep the rules. We have just turned into a Pharisee. A law driven follower of Jesus. A performance based follower of Jesus. If I could keep down the, a guilt-driven follower of Jesus. Uh, man, I feel so bad that I haven't fill in the blank. 
So now I'm going to. Let me tell you something. If you ever made that statement, let me guarantee you what's about to happen. If you feel so bad that you have it, so now you are, guess what? You're going to stop doing it pretty soon. If your motivation for doing something is guilt, you're going to stop, man, listen, I ain't doing nothing for long just because I, just because I feel guilty about it. You ever try to go on a diet just because you feel guilty because you haven't been on one? Me. I don't know if anybody else has. I can promise you I have. You know what? Like three days in, I just went on a diet because I'm guilty. Because Tim, I feel guilty because Tim's been working out and been doing all this. And I feel guilty because so-and-so lost X amount. And I feel guilty, so I'm going to start eating better. Guess what? I'll do it for a couple of days. Then I'm back. I just feel guilty. Such is your Christian life. If you do something just because, man, I, I noticed that, that Jeff, when he preached, he mentioned this certain spiritual discipline at work. And, man, I feel guilty. I don't do that. I'm going to try that. Performance-based Christianity. Man, I noticed so-and-so and how they, they serve and they do this and that. So I'm going to start serving just like them because I feel guilty because I'm not performance-based living. And listen, that is not gospel Christianity. That is law-driven. That is Pharisee-driven. You are more likely to wind up following the Pharisees than following Jesus with that mindset. And so the book of Colossians, as many of Paul's letters, it begs you today to reject the easy way, which is, let me create this checklist of do's and this checklist of don'ts. And let me check them off every day. The entire New Testament and all Paul's letters, the theme is wipe that board clean. Put the name of Jesus on that board. And say, because of Jesus, here are some things that flow down. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and kindness and humility and patience and goodness and and because of Jesus, here are some things that flow down. I'm going to flee anger and unnecessary talk and malice and hatred and violence and injustice. And but it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. And this morning, I want to encourage you as we close. If you're trying to live this Christian life and Sign off at the end of the day that you checked off all the boxes. I'm not trying to be sarcastic this morning. Then, like, I'm happy for you. Like, great. Except that I'm not happy for you. Because two weeks from now, not so great. Three weeks from now, not so great. A year from now, not so great. If you are caught in performance-based living in Christianity... Today I ask you to remove performance-based living from your life and attribute the performance-based living to Jesus, the one who performed it all for you. Josh, how can I serve? And I'm, I'm going to give you all a good one. How can I serve in the kids' ministry for three years? Throw, let me throw a time frame out there. For th how in the world can I do that for three years? And still keep my joy. Can we be real? 
How can I serve my kids and keep my joy for, th- for long term? Not three weeks, three years. Well, when it's not about you performing the act of serving kids, but it's about you saying, I just want to step into my role because Jesus is my life. And here's my role is to serve in kids. Then I, I can do that. I'll do that. And if it wasn't that, I'd be serving in fill in the blank over there. And if, if I wasn't serving in there, I'd be serving back there doing that. Or I'd be, how can we do that long term? How can I pastor a church? And I know this isn't a long time compared to a lot of people. But now we're going into our fifth year. How can, I, how can I continue my passion and fire and desire for church in year 6, 7, 16, 17? It's not because I'm trying to perform. Because if it was me trying to perform, I'm going to fail you most times. No, it's that Jesus has performed for me and I can rest in him and I can say, Jesus, lead me and guide me and live your life through me. Lessons from Colossae. The most important one. is that what we do should flow from what we know and who we know. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. God, if there are people in this audience this morning that have been bound, they've been bound up by the chains of law-driven, guilt-driven, service and obedience. God, I pray that there will be a radical transformation from from guilt-driven obedience to grace-driven obedience. The obedience is still there, but the motivator is vastly different. I wonder if you're here today And maybe all this makes sense to you and the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart about a specific area in your life. That's awesome. I pray that there are people here that understand exactly what I mean and what I'm speaking of when I, when I speak of this guilt and grace. And, but maybe there's someone here today that's like, Josh, I'm not even, down, I'm not even on this road. I've, I've not begun this life of following Jesus. I've got to be very honest with you this morning, Josh, and and some of the things that you spoke about, like, I'd love for that to be a part of my life, but it's just not yet. I wonder if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your personal Savior. You've never acknowledged that you're in need of Him and that in and of yourself, there's no way that you could earn His love and His favor But today you would admit that you need a Savior. You'd accept the truth that Jesus Christ was born as we celebrate Christmas, God incarnate, Emmanuel. And that he lived a perfect life. He lived a life that you could not live. And he died the death you deserve to die for the wages of sin is death. You deserve to die that death, but Jesus paid it all. And what does the song say? All to him I owe. And today you'd say, Josh, I'm willing today to repent of my sin 
And I'm willing today to believe and follow Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.